The Tremaini Archives presents Dies Somnium by Dittany and Dreams Summary After the war, students were allowed to return to Hogwarts School of Witchcraft and Wizardry, with some older students returning for an eighth year to complete their studies. Draco Malfoy has had a secret since he was 11 years old, but will he finally be able to make it known? Hermione Granger is excited for the school year, but without Harry and Ron, will she make it through, even with her new friendship with a snake? What exactly is Theo not steal? Trigger warnings for this fanfiction include alcohol abuse, potion use for recreation, self-harm, depression, suicide attempts, anxiety, non-con and rape elements, war, dark magic, psychological trauma, torture references, murder references, explicit sexual content and explicit language. Chapter 1 At 11 years old, he thought that she was a swatty know-it-all. At 12 years old, he thought that she was dirty, a girl who had stolen some amazing purebred witch's magic. At 13 years old, he thought that she was impressive in her ability to punch. At 14 years old, he thought that she was pretty, especially in Periwinkle Blue. At 15 years old, he thought that she was intelligent, strong and beautiful. At 16 years old, he thought that she defied all logic and feared for her future. At 17 years old, he watched her be tortured on his drawing room floor and knew that he would never have the chance to tell her how he felt. At 18 years old, he walked into the sunroom of Malfoy Manor where his mother was preparing herself to leave for his father's sentencing. Draco Malfoy had always considered his mother one of the strongest witches he had ever known, and certainly the most elegant. The way she was able, even in the face of having to watch her husband be potentially sent to Azkaban for life, or worse, look immaculately put together in deep grey robes with not a hint of sadness on her face. She'd already endured her own trial, and that of many of her friends. Being one of the lucky ones to have not taken the dark mark, and to have also had the fact that she'd been incremental to the light side winning the war when she lied straight to Voldemort's face about Harry being dead, she'd only received a fine and a six-month house arrest. She didn't even need the emotional testimonial the Chosen One had given at her trial to get off so lightly. Draco himself had yet to face his trial. It was something that filled him with dread, especially having watched a number of his former allies being sentenced, whether good or bad outcomes. Some of the people he had once looked up to as a child, although long since considered by him as good people he wanted to be around, had been sentenced to the Dementor's Kiss. He had also watched as some of his best friends, including Theo Knott and Pansy Parkinson, had sat through their trials, each receiving a summer of house arrest and being forced to return to Hogwarts for an eighth year with Muggle studies as a mandatory subject. If only he could bring himself to believe that he would get off even half as lucky as them. Neither of them had taken the dark mark, despite their parents playing a particularly in-depth role in the war. Are you ready to go, dear? His mother's voice pulled him from his thoughts as he smoothed down his black button-down shirt before nodding and offering his arm to her. As he walked his mother to the fireplace to prepare to flew into the Ministry of Magic, he played with the Malfoy signet ring his father had given him right before both men were taken to Azkaban for questioning. He thought he should say something comforting to his mother, 
After all, he had suspicion that he was today going to become the man of the manor. He turned to her as they approached the fireplace, but she spoke first. I'm so very proud of you, my dragon. She placed her remaining hand atop the one he was holding her arm with. Despite everything that man has put us through, I'm proud that you are joining me today at his trial, and of how strong you have been through all of this. Proud, he thought. What on earth did she have to be proud of him for? He had bullied, lied, tortured, and even killed over the last two years, serving a lunatic. All because he was scared, cowardly little boy who wanted to impress a man he once thought he wanted to grow up to be like. And even after the war was over, there was not much to be proud of him for. He had taken his anger and depression out in ways his mother would never find out about, often returning to the manor from sessions in the Muggle world, stinking drunk and reaching for his new favourite possession. At that thought, and before his mother could pull him into the green flames of the flu, he quickly patted his pocket, making sure it was still there. He felt the sturdy square shape of the box in his slacks and let out a sigh of relief. He felt he would need it today of all days. He stepped into the flames and took his mother's arm again before loudly announcing, Department of Magical Law Enforcement Trial Rooms. The trial rooms were designed to be as oppressive as possible, each with their own towering black onyx column and high seating for the Wisingamont to stare down at you and a cage in the centre of the circular room to make a spectacle of the accused. While Dementors were no longer used in the trial rooms, their lingering magic could still be felt as you walked through the large double doors and a chill still remained in the air. Draco and his mother took a seat at the back of the room, trying to keep a low profile from any onlookers, especially as Draco himself had not yet faced his sentencing and had to get special permission from the Minister of Magic himself, Kingsley Shacklebolt, to attend his father's sentencing. They are accompanied from the minute they set foot in the Department of Magical Law Enforcement by three experienced aurors, as if they thought Draco would make a run for it or cause trouble during the sentencing. He didn't have the energy or the desire, if he was truly honest. Whilst he loved his father still, he had lost all respect for the man and had been quite afraid of his capabilities, maniacal tendencies and psychotic beliefs when he was still 15. He had taken the dark mark shortly after, but his only premise for doing so had been to make sure that the woman sitting next to him made it through the war and he could be aware of what was going on in Voldemort's inner circle. He didn't trust his father to tell him anything. He was jolted from his thoughts at the sound of clanking chains as the platform in the middle of the cage started to rise and his father's gaunt features and bloodshot eyes came into view. He looked terrible, much older than he did just two months before when he and Draco were taken off for questioning. Luckily, as a minor, Draco had been allowed to return home under house arrest, with daily check-ins with his assigned aura, but his father had not been so lucky, having been kept in the maximum security wing of Azkaban prison since. As the platform reached its highest position, it jerked to a stop with a loud bang, making most of the occupants of the trial room jump. Lucius Abraxas Malfoy, announced the Wizengamoth member in the centre of the stacks, you have been brought here today to receive your sentencing for crimes as part of the Second Wizarding War. You have been found guilty following your trial of all accused crimes and will therefore be receiving the harshest punishment the Wizengamot are able to give. Although personally, I don't think it's enough. Draco felt his mother squeeze his hand tightly as the Wizengamot member continued. You will therefore be sentenced to the Dementor's Kiss, which will be performed today in the Department of Mysteries. 
You will not be allowed any appeal or be allowed to communicate with anyone but your assigned aura beforehand. With that, everything happened incredibly quickly for Draco. The room erupted into applause as the Wizengamosh showed their approval for the sentencing. Lucius Malfoy's eyes looked up for the first time in his sentencing, filled with fear and regret, searching the room frantically before spotting his wife and son. Narcissa Malfoy almost squeezed Draco's hand so hard he lost the feeling in it, while he felt a pit open in his stomach that his father was as good as dead in a few minutes. And he spotted, out of the corner of his eye, the pained sets of eyes of his friends, Blaise Sabini, Theo Knott and Pansy Parkinson, accompanied by a familiar bushy brown mop of hair and brilliant chocolate eyes. Chapter 2 Draco was yanked from his confusion as to why Hermione Golden Girl Granger was sitting amongst his friends, or even attending his father's trial at all, by the sudden, uncharacteristic shouting that was coming from his usually stony-faced, composed father. Sissy! Sissy, I'm so sorry! Forgive me, my love! I did everything for your protection! Lucius was fighting against the two auras who were dragging him by the manacles through a small black door on the far side of the trial room. Draco knew what was beyond that door. Everyone knew. As the door opened, a haunting chill ran through the courtroom. And within a few seconds, and after a final scream from Lucius of, I love you, sissy, the door slammed shut. Draco hadn't realised until that moment that his mother had been sobbing and latching onto his arm so tightly she had drawn blood where her nails had been digging in through his robes. He took all of her weight in his arms and slowly sank to the floor with her as she wept. It was the second time in his entire life that he had seen his mother break. The first being the night that he had been carried back to his room by his father for the excruciating ordeal of getting his dark mark. Hermione had been to all of the Death Eater trials of those who had been her classmates at Hogwarts. She didn't know most of them personally, other than a quick glare in the corridor or class, but she felt obliged after so much had happened and so many of the children of Death Eaters had been made to go to the trial of the sections, despite not having the dark mark and despite not taking any real action during the war. Them being persecuted for their name was about as logical to her as being persecuted for her being a mudblood. Blaise Sabini's trial had been the first she had attended. It was a simple one, his only reason for being questioned to find out what really happened in the Room of Hidden Things when Vincent Crabbe died from his own cast friend fire. Rather luckily for Sabini, his family had stayed fairly neutral throughout the war, much like Pansy Parkinson's, and this meant that he was only given a caution. Pansy's trial had gone in a similar fashion. She had turned Harry over to Voldemort in the end, but as she had done so under immense stress and whilst being tortured, she was also given a caution and not allowed to use her magic for three months. Hermione had felt a great sympathy towards Parkinson when she had been speaking at her trial, as she told stories and named Death Eaters who hadn't been yet identified of who she would be passed around to, and the groups of father associated with during school breaks. Theodore Knott's trial had been a little more complicated. Whilst he didn't have a dark mark, his father was a well-known Death Eater and had been imprisoned some years before for his role in the attack at the Ministry, which caused thousands of prophecies to be destroyed, as well as his involvement with returning the Dark Lord to his human form the year before. Whilst Theo claimed to have no knowledge of his father's doings, 
The wizard of Moth found it hard to believe that he could have been in the same house as this man and not known what was going on. Luckily, Blaze had come to testify for Theo and made it clear by giving his memories for analysis that Theo, since third year, had lived with Sabini for every school break, not wanting to be anywhere near his psychotic father through fear of his life. Eventually, Theo was pardoned of all charges and given a caution much like Blaze. All three Slytherins were also ordered to return to Hogwarts for an eighth year of study to ensure they were properly integrated back into magical society and were not under the influence of any previous family ties, having to remain at the school for all breaks and take a mandatory newt study in muggle studies. Upon hearing this news, Theo had convinced his friends that if that was the case, they needed to make a real effort into clearing their names and becoming more than just their family names. His first step in doing so was to get all three of them to write thank you letters to Hermione for attending their trials. Hermione was taken aback by the sincere and kind words coming from all three of her previous enemies, but she was quick to understand what they had been through and how difficult it had been for them to live under those conditions and remain as detached from the war as possible. It can't have been easy or safe for them a lot of the time, she had rationalised to herself. She was quick to write back to Theo, explaining how she held no grudges towards them on any high level, and that she understood that being raised in such an environment can't have been easy. She was quick to forgive, and was happy to let bygones be bygones when it came to their bullying of her in their earlier years of school, understanding that the bigotry ran deep from their families, not their own formed opinions. A regular correspondence between Theo and Hermione quickly blossomed, with the two becoming friendly acquaintances pretty quickly. They'd even met up in Diagon Alley for coffee once or twice since the trials began, and she was more than happy to be a chaperone for the three Slytherin friends to any of the trials that they wanted to attend. Unsurprisingly, the next one they had wanted to go to was the sentencing of Lucius, to allow their support for their friend Draco Malfoy, who they hadn't been able to speak to or see ever since the end of the Battle of Hogwarts. Hermione had been nervous to see Draco Malfoy again, she had heard rumours from Harry about how he'd supposedly changed since the war. Chinese whispered that had made their way around the Ministry of how remorseful he was while being questioned. Whispers of how detached he had been from all of the other Death Eaters waiting trial in Azkaban, even showing animosity towards many of them, even those he was related to. It wasn't until she saw him in person, though, that she could see that these whispers had, had some merit. It wasn't until she saw him in person, though, that she could see that these whispers had merit. Maybe not to the extent of him being reformed, but he certainly was more mature and less of a git than he had been just a few months before. He sat at the trial with a pensive look on his face, showing any sympathy for his father. His support for his mother was admirable, and he genuinely seemed to agree with the sentencing. Hermione swore that she saw him give a slight nod when the sentence was passed. She wasn't sure what to make of Draco. Malfoy. Draco? He was still an enigma in her eyes. Yes, he was conventionally attractive. Yes, he seemed to be more demure than he had been in previous years. And she'd only heard good things from his friends, now that she called them her friends too. Stories of how he had no choice and the stress he had been under, particularly in sixth year, ringing in her ears as she watched him throughout the sentencing. She still couldn't get a good read on him, that was until the sentence passed and his father was being dragged away to the small black door and she got a glimpse of his eyes landing on her after quickly flicking around his group of friends. She was expecting him to look at her in shock 
or with disgust that she was even there, let alone sat with his friends. But all she saw in that moment was a scared boy who seemed to be grateful to see her and get some calm from her presence. Mm -hmm.